You know, God's ways aren't always our ways, but God's ways really are always good. And he's always good to us. And he's always for us, not against us. Even when he seems to be against us, he's against our sins, not against us. God is a good God always. And that's why there's hope for all of us. If you've come in here barely hanging on to hope, you need to know there is hope in Jesus Christ. He has never, ever failed anyone who looked to him, and he won't fail you. Keep hanging on to Christ. Now, this Christian life that we are seeking to live, it can sometimes be challenging, but it's also blessed. <laughs> it's a distinctive way of life, and there are distinctive blessings from God that come into the Christian's life. But here's the thing. The way of life and the blessings cannot be separated. They go together. The blessings have an inner connection with the way of life. You can't just tack the blessings onto a disobedient or faithless life. That doesn't work. It's, it's something that emerges out of that life. And so we are called to live a particular way with our God. And we have, to, we have to focus on the heart of things. Sometimes we can get distracted by so many other issues. We have to stay connected with the heart of it all. And that's really what, what I want to talk about this morning. It may not seem like it at first. When we turn to the text that we are going to look at today, you might think, well, what does this have to do with the heart of the Christian life, but I think you'll see in just a few minutes. We're in 1 Samuel, you know that, working this week through the last half, or really the last two-thirds of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, our life groups are taking up this passage, and I hope you're in a life group. I'm not going to try to read the whole thing, but I do want to read several verses from chapter 2. Let's start in verse it refers to Eli's sons. Remember, Eli is the high priest. He is the one who pronounced to Hannah that, God would, that, that God's blessing was on her and that God would answer her prayer. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests that whenever, whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants or servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Then skip down to verse 22. 
Now Eli was very old. Who was very old? Heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Those last words are chilling, aren't they? What they mean is that they had gone too far. God's patience had run out. There was no more grace to yank them back into a place of repentance. They were going to be judged. They were unaware of that fact. They're just going along utterly unaware that quietly, silently, God knew, God was aware, and God had already decided to judge them. Think about that. And as I said, it's a chilling thought to believe or to recognize that we can get to that place. Now, these sons were priests, and they were serving there at the tabernacle under their father, Eli, and their sins were grievous. Now, we see some of the outward manifestations of it. The people brought their sacrifices, and evidently at this period, they were boiling the meat, and and the fat was supposed to be offered to God, but now these young priests didn't want that. They wanted the meat raw so they could roast it and it would be to their liking. And so with the threat of violence, they took what they wanted. We read about clergy abuse today. Well, you see a kind of clergy abuse going on here. There they were cavorting with the women who worked around the temple. And when you think about Here are men in a patriarchal society, and these were actually men of power within a patriarchal society. You can be very sure that there was a power differential that made their relationship with those women more than just immoral. It was abusive. So these were not good men. But what was their sin, their core sin? What was it at the heart of what they were doing wrong? It wasn't simply the fact that they ate the meat of the sacrifice, and it wasn't even the fact that they were sleeping with these women. Those were sins, no doubt. But you notice how the passage begins. It says, they had no regard for the Lord. They had no fear of God at all. No fear, no reverence, no respect. They were self-regarding. They weren't worried about God. Maybe they no longer believed in God, at least not a God who was present, who was watching, who cared about holiness, who had established a way of worship that they were to observe. That meant nothing to them. They held nothing sacred. For them, 
everything was profane. Now, when I use that word profane, I'm using it in its proper sense. When we hear the word profane, we think of profanity. But you see, profanity is an extension of the concept. When somebody uses profanity, what sort of words do they use? (laughs) Again and again, they talk about God. They use the name Jesus Christ, holy things. But by using them, by controlling them, by using them in a disparaging way, there's a sense in which they're saying these, these, you know, God has no power over me. Jesus Christ has no power over me. It's like trampling the name in the dirt. It's a way of exerting power, of expressing confidence, of reassuring yourself that you won't answer to God. You won't answer to Jesus Christ. You just throw off their names any way you want in any kind of profane tirade. See, the word profane originally means without power. Holiness was understood to have power. Something that was sacred had power because it was associated with God. But that which was profane was just ordinary. It was just a thing. So profanity is an effort to say God's name is just another word. Jesus Christ, just a historical person. There's no power there. I'm not afraid of that. See, that's what profanity is. Now, when you have no sense for what's sacred, Everything becomes profane. And that's where these young men were. No fear of God. Nothing is sacred. Everything is profane. So they didn't see offerings brought in sacrifice to God in worship. They saw meat. That's it. That's what they wanted. That's what they grabbed. Because when everything is profane, everything's a commodity. Everything's for the self to buy and use or steal and use, but it's all for the self. They didn't care about desecrating a holy place with their sin. It was all profane. There's no power there. And so Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, what was the heart of their sin? No fear no reverence, no respect. They held nothing sacred. Everything was profane. And their lives were centered not on God, but on themselves and what they wanted. Now, this text was written a long time ago. No one's quite sure exactly when 1 Samuel was written, but if you said 3,000 years, you wouldn't be far off probably a little less than 3,000 years ago, this text was written. 3,000 years ago. That's a long time. What's remarkable is what you see in Hophni and Phinehas is what you see in our society. No fear of God, no reverence, no respect. Nothing is sacred. Everything profane. Everything's a commodity for the self to use. Life is about satisfying yourself. Regard for God? No, no regard for God, but great regard for oneself. 
Now, I'm painting this in extreme colors. I recognize that. I am not trying to say that there are no redeeming qualities in our time. You understand what I'm doing. I'm trying to emphasize it so we can see it clearly. We can see the profanity of our culture. I'm also not saying, oh, look how bad it is today. If only we could get back to, and then pick a time. As if it was good back in the day. It was emphatically not good back in the day. There has always been sin, and there are some things in our culture today that are much better than in the past. But it, it, it remains true that the leaven of Christian commitment and the sense of the sacred that did hold people back, at least to some degree, from breaking through all the boundaries and from pursuing a narcissistic life, those, those things have begun to recede. That fear of God has leached out. And as a society, we're like a man driving a car without brakes. We get in. We accelerate. We're going where we want to go. We're trying to evade danger, but we're not going to succeed. The time's going to come where we hit that break and we need to stop. Everything depends on stopping and we can't stop. We can't control it. We're careening out of control. So there is good in our times, absolutely. But this sense of the sacred and the fear of God has leached out and it's left us in a very dangerous place. So how do we respond as the church? Well, I'll tell you how we're tempted to respond. We're tempted to respond just like the Pharisees. A lot of folks don't realize that the Pharisees were a reform movement within Judaism. And certainly there were godly Pharisees. Don't think that all Pharisees were hypocrites. That's not the, tr that's not the truth. But there were certain aspects of the pharisaical way of viewing things that made hypocrisy all too common among them. And we can be tempted to be like Pharisees. Here's what Pharisees wanted to do. They said, you know what? All of life needs to be holy. So we should take the commandments, even those that were applied to the priests, and we should apply them to everybody in all of life because we're all priests. So they wanted all of life to be holy. And the way they wanted to do that was to make sure all the commands would be obeyed. And to make sure that you obey the commands, they wanted to establish boundaries. And to make sure they were the right boundaries, they'd, they'd move them in two or three phases because you've got a hedge against possible sin. So now we've got all these boundaries. Jesus says some of them are human boundaries, human commands, not established by God, but we got all these boundaries. And then this kind of rigid self-righteousness. I'm inside God's will and you're outside. There's the judgment, the harshness, and the hypocrisy that we've come to associate with the Pharisees. See, that's the temptation in our day. We say, oh, there's no fear of God. So we need to set some boundaries. 
We need to tell it like it is. We need to speak the truth in love. You know what I'm saying? We've got to lay it down. Bless God, I'm going to put it out there on Facebook. I'm going to let everybody know. And of course, the millions and millions of people who read your Facebook posting, they're just going to fall on their knees and repent. Right? I mean, we're so tempted to become Pharisees. And it's out of, if I can put it this way, it's out of good intentions, but it's misguided. Tell you another response, and it's a wrong response. It's to see the harshness of this Pharisaical move, to see its hypocrisy, to see its rigidity, to see how it deviates from the way of God, and to say, I want nothing to do with that, and then decide, you know what? I think the world is right, not the Pharisees. All those boundaries, those aren't of God. And then there's this flip over into really the world's right. There are no boundaries, or, or the boundaries that are there aren't the boundaries in the Bible. The Bible's written a long time ago. It was an ancient book. They didn't know what we know today. 3,000 years ago, they wrote this story. What's that got to teach me? So you've got a lot of Christians who want to show a more loving spirit, but the way they do it is to essentially repudiate what they see as the hypocrisy in the church and embrace the world. Now all those boundaries are gone. And now we call them different things. We, call, we might call the erosion of all boundaries inclusivity. You know what? Christianity is an inclusive religion. There's never been a faith as inclusive as Christianity. But Christianity insists on calling things by their right name. So it's inclusive of sinners. Sinners sin. But you see, even in the church, we've got folks that are wanting to say, you know what, the sin's not real. It's not sin. It's not sin. We've got to celebrate this. Now, you can fill in the blanks a lot of ways. I know how somebody, you're going to fill it in automatically that I'm talking about gay marriage or something like that. But you know, can I tell you something? <laughs> the reason the world, one of the reasons the world doesn't listen to the church about gay marriage is because we have profaned marriage in a thousand different ways that have nothing to do with homosexuality. I mean, talking about in the church. We don't exactly have high standing in our witness. You follow what I'm saying? That, that you know, please don't just <laughs> hear what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. So, but the problem is this, this tendency to just sort of apply a Christian veneer over whatever the world is saying. It's all okay, and then you apply a little Jesus to that. Wasn't, didn't Jesus love everybody? So I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to accept everybody. And, and before too long, before too long, your whole life is profane. You may be very nice. You may really be kind to people, but everything's profane because nothing is sacred as coming from God. So what is the right response? I mean, we don't want to be Pharisees, but we also don't want all that is part of our heritage to be leached out. 
Well, I think what we have to do is look at Hophni and Phinehas and see their movement and reverse course. Notice what they did. They were there at the tabernacle to worship and lead in worship, and they abandoned worship and God in order to pursue their own lusts. That's what they did. They violated the boundaries that stood in the way of satisfying themselves. What we must do as Christians is abandon our own lusts and turn to the worship of God, making God central. Think of what Jesus said. God seeks followers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. That's what Phineas and, and Hophni abandoned was the heart of it. God is central, the worship of God. And that's where we must go, to the worship of God. In a way, it's just fulfilling the command of the Lord to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. But it's the fear of God with the love of God. You bring those together, you have this holy reverence for God. And that reverence doesn't make you the enemy of anyone. Instead, the second commandment flows out of it, to love others as you love yourself. If I can love myself as a sinner, I can love sinners, and I can do it without being judgmental and self-righteous and think that I'm all that. Amen? So the heart of it, if, if Eli's sons abandon God in worship to pursue their own ends, we have to abandon our own ends to worship our God and let him be our God. That's why joining together and worshiping as we are today is so important. It's not the whole of it, but it's an important part of it. Our lives should be focused on God. Amen.